Today I want to spend some time in the Bible. Imagine that. Um, I find Christ is a pretty good, pretty good preacher. And um, so we're going to spend some time in Matthew 24. And start out with Matthew 24. So this slide, I'm going to start with this slide. This is really the theme of this entire sermon. And I hope that it's the theme of your entire life as well. This, I believe, is the theme of Christ's life and his teaching. And um, the topic for today that, we, that I have been given by the elders is about end time events, the time of the end. And so this theme, this text right here, I believe, and we'll go through more of this Bible, what Jesus' teaching is about not only the time of the end, but how we can survive it. How we, because that's more important to me than knowing what's going to happen at the end of time. I'm more interested in surviving it than knowing about it. And so that's what we're going to look at today, is Jesus' teachings on how to survive the end times. This ship is sinking. Amen? As we look out in the world, we see the complexities of our political systems. We see the turmoil, the passion that's raging throughout our countries and throughout the world. How many of you believe that it's possible for this earth to go on another 10,000 years? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Ten years? Well, <laughs> the sad thing is, well, I'm going to work on that later, but... Um, <laughs> When I was two months old, my parents took us to New Guinea as missionaries. And we, while we were in New Guinea, my parents would record these reel-to-reel tapes. Uh, has anybody seen a reel-to-reel? Okay, three. And um, they would send it back to my grandparents, and they would save them. And so now today, I have the actual voice of my mom, my dad, my sister, and myself on tape. And my mom, I heard my mom, this is in 1964. I, that was way, anyway, you know how old I am. That's fine, fine. <laughs> I read a story recently in the Newsweek that says that people over 50 are happier than people under 50. So I'm happy about this. <laughs> anyway, um, she said, I don't think we have to plan for our time when we come back from New Guinea. Okay? They were, they were there for five years. They were planning to come back in 1969. She says, because I don't think this world could get any worse than it is now. Wow. Okay. You guys think it's gotten a little worse? A whole lot worse. It's hard to imagine it getting any worser. Worser? Worse. That's jet lag. But I believe that it's going to get a lot worse. It's going to continue to get worse until certain things happen. And we're going to look at what Jesus says about that. Okay. But we're going to start out in Matthew 24. So if you guys want to switch off of this slide and just go to the Bible, we're going to spend some time in the Bible. We're going to cover, in this sermon, Matthew 24 and 25. I've done this in three minutes. I'm going to spend a little more time this time. Okay, Matthew 24, here's the setting. Jesus uh, was in the temple, in the very first verse, and Jesus went out, departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. I'm sure they had felt a little bit of pride. It was the wonder of the world, this temple, this temple complex that was gilded with actual gold, set up on a prominent place, beautified by the Roman Empire itself. 
such an amazing place. And, and they would look at that temple and say, see the success of our religion. See the success of what we believe. And they would put faith in those buildings and what they could see. And that showed to them that their way of life was right. So they had pride and faith in these buildings and what they could see. And Jesus said unto them, verse 2, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they're like, What? No way. Now I've been to um, Jerusalem and these rocks, I mean we think of a rock as like maybe this big or something. These things are massive. I mean, they're bigger than a motorhome. They're math. They're like the size of my house. I don't know how they got those rocks there, but I'm sure they figured it out because it's there. Massive stones. So how could these stones be taken down? And why would they be thrown down? Jesus. So they were, the disciples were very perplexed. And I'm sure they were a little bit, what's the word? Like the, felt like the rug was pulled out from under them? That's like, this is going to happen to our Religion, this is going to happen to our nation. How could this be? And so, uh, verse 3, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? I don't think they really understood what they were asking. But Jesus then goes on to explain. Jesus answered and said unto them, verse 4, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So wars and rumors of wars, do we hear of wars and rumors of wars even today? Are that, is that, are those wars and rumors of wars a sign of the end? No. No, it says the end is not yet. So we look at all these wars and the rumors of wars and, and, and all the bloodshed that we see going on today and that's not the sign of the end. There's something else. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes and diverse places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And we sit here in this beautiful church thinking, man, when that time comes, will I be able to stand? The truth is that this last year, more Christians were martyred in this world today than the entire Dark Ages. So even now, we have Christians being martyred around the world. This is real today. They're being martyred so that we have the opportunity to, and actually most of them are being martyred just because they shared their faith. If they had been quiet and just gone to church, they'd be okay. But a lot of them were killed because they shared. What does that say about me? I'm afraid to share my faith in case somebody thinks I'm a little square. It's called Laodicea. Born and raised, self-educated in Laodicea. But there is a solution to that problem. Okay. So, in fact, <clears throat> the, earlier this year, I went to visit a state in India. Uh, Orissa is the name of that state. 
and I interviewed, we interviewed some survivors of um, anti-Christian uh, ri uh, riots in 2008. Um, we interviewed one person that talked about the pastor who they had come and they found him praying. And so they said, will you uh, reject Jesus? Will you accept Hinduism instead? And he said, no. And they, they killed him right there. And then they found his mom trying to hide. They killed her. Two other people they killed. They'd go down the line, are you Christian or are you Hindu? Christian. And they would kill them. There was one man that surrendered. He says, I am, I, you know, he was actually Christian. He says, I'm Hindu. And he saved his life, but now he regrets that. And he's very sorry. And now he's come back to the Lord. So this is real. This is happening in the world today. And if you'd like to have a little bit of uh, experiment, a <laughs> little taste of what's coming to maybe, you know, I call foreign missions, there's a lot of opportunity for uh, weightlifting. You know, somebody's preparing to get strong for an event, you go and you practice, you weightlift. Okay, so missions I call the gymnasium for the future time of trouble. And um, this is a really good way to learn because the truth is I spent a lot of my life fearing the time of the trouble, the time of trouble. I was afraid of the pain that, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a total coward. <laughs> You know, I don't mind dying, just don't let me feel anything on the way out, you know? <laughs> just that dying is fine, but being tortured, I don't want that. That freaks me out, that makes me really afraid until, but now I'm starting to realize that, you know what, that pain, it's temporary. Did you hear that? That's temporary. What is eternal? The joy. Pleasures, pleasure in his, pre in his presence are pleasures forevermore. The pain is temporary, and, it, and that's what Jesus chose. So let's not be afraid of the, of the suffering. There is, Jesus has been through it already. Okay. Um, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound... Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be, what? Preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Okay, so what is the clue for whether or not when Jesus is coming? The gospel going to the whole world. The gospel going to the whole world. That is the prerequisite for Christ coming, according to Jesus. So, what should be our primary task as a believer? Take the gospel to the whole world so that Jesus can come. Absolutely. That is job one, there is no job two. Now, we're gonna go on more into this and dig more into this because Jesus has a lot more to say. 
When you, therefore, shall see the abomination desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, there's a lot in here. Then let them that which are in Judea flee into the mountains. You may be asking, what is this abomination of desolation? There's a lot of opportunity there for study. But I believe, and we believe as a church, and through a lot of study in the Daniel and Revelation, this is when the Sunday law comes into, into being. And when we travel around the world, that Sunday law is already there in a lot of places. But it's going to happen right here. It's going to happen right here. Then let them which be in Judah, Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of the house. Neither let him which is in the field turn back to take his clothes. Woe unto them which are child. So it's describing a time when there is a fleeing from the cities, fleeing from the populated areas and finding seclusion and finding. But you notice that there's a sequence. First step is the gospel going to the whole world. Second step is this move into, shall we say, the country, move into secluded places for refuge. So unfortunately, I think that what we often do is get that backwards, as we tend to want to flee into the refuge without the first step happening the gospel going into the whole world. Because I believe that the gospel going into the whole world, the loud cry, that is going to pre precipitate the massive, uh, what do you call it, tribulation, time of trouble. And that's the time to take it, to, 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 to go into the refuge. But today we're gonna find a different kind of refuge. We're gonna find a different kind of ark to go through this time of trouble. All right. No, I'm going to move down. Again, throughout this chapter, we have a lot of big sweeping prophecies. Um, let's go to verse 36. But of that day, talking about Jesus' return, that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days of Noah that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered in the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the be the coming of, of the Son of Man. So everything's going to look fine until, the, until that day, until it's too late. Until it's too late. Um, it's going to look normal. Everybody's going to, business is going to be transacting, you know, Buying and selling is going to be happening. Marriage and divorce and all that stuff is just going to be happening like normal until that day. So, verse 42. Jesus starts to change the direction of his speech. He starts out with big sweeping prophecies of the end of time, and he starts moving into personal application. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Okay? Verse 44, therefore, be ye also ready. Be ye ready. That doesn't mean get ready. Jesus doesn't say, therefore, get ready. He says, be ready. Exist in a continual state of readiness. So that whenever he comes, you're already ready. You don't need an extra preparation. You're there. You're ready. So if Jesus tells us to be ready, it seems as though he would tell us how to be ready. Would you like to learn that? 
I would like to know that from Jesus himself, not from a preacher, from Jesus. <laughs> I would like to know from Jesus how to be ready continually so that when he comes, I'm not going to be surprised in a bad way. You know what I mean? <laughs> not end up in the wrong side of things. So then he says this amazing two-verse passage that we read this morning. Who then, verse 45, is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. All right, we're gonna parse this out a little bit. First of all, who is the Lord? That's easy, that'd be God, yeah, Jesus, okay? Father in heaven, all right? Who is a faithful and wise servant? Who is the servant in this? You and I, yeah, the church, you and I. Um, the servant's job is to give them, okay, he's, he's, made the, he's made the servant the ruler over his household. Who is the household or what is the household of God? The world. Every child is born into the world a son or daughter of God. It's his son. He claims them. Ezekiel 18, behold, all souls are mine, saith the Lord. They belong to him. They just don't know it. <laughs> and so... The job of the church is to give meat in due season. That's present truth to the world. That's our job. To take the present truth of Jesus and give it to the world. Blessed is that servant or happy. This is where joy is. This is where the joy of life truly is. Finding our life by losing our life. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. That's where life is. When we give our lives in service to others, in service to the king of kings, that's where real life is. That's where excitement is. The rest is all boring. There's fun things, but it's miserable and boring. Living for the king, that's where the excitement is. Happy is that servant whom when his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. So what are we to do up until the coming of Jesus Christ? Giving present truth to the world. And I believe that Jesus is teaching us right here that, that doing that job is how we stay ready for his coming. And many people will say, well, you know, we've got we've to study the Bible. We've got to pray. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a huge part of it. There's a whole mechanism going on here. This isn't a works thing. I have to give the gospel to the world so that I can be saved. That's not it at all. The mechanism is giving the gospel to the world becomes my motivation for prayer, for Bible study, for personal holiness, for personal sanctification, all that stuff. In fact, Jesus himself says, I sanctify myself for their sake. Love for others is a much stronger motivational force than love for myself, for self-preservation. If I wanna be holy just so that I can go to heaven, it's not a lot of motivation there. But if I know that my holiness 
will be a blessing to my children, to my wife, to my church, to the people over there, to the people in my community, that's motivation. That's the motivation that took Jesus himself to the cross. Not because he liked pain, but because he liked love. He liked joy. And he saw that that was the way to joy. Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus didn't go to the cross because he liked shame. And I think a lot of times we as Christians kind of think that serving Christ is just all shame and struggle and self-denial and no joy, but it's, not, it's a lie from Satan. Serving Christ is the greatest joy there is. The most intelligent being in the entire universe chose the cross, saying, that's where the, my joy can be expanded. That's an amazing thing. So I've started not running from difficult situations. I started looking out there and saying, where's more joy? I want more joy. I don't know about you guys, but I want more joy in my life. Okay. <laughs> That's why I have jet lag, actually. I'm out there, you know, I'm not trying to, I don't know, I just, I, when I was growing up, I, I, I experienced a little bit of joy. I experienced a little bit of serving God, and it was amazing. And then I finally got to a place in my life where I didn't, I wasn't connected to the church in any way. And we moved away from the same state my parents lived in, so I could do what I wanted to do. And I had this thought on the back of my mind that people out there, they're having all the fun. And my whole life, it was just boring. So I went out there, and I tried everything that I could. And it was really boring. <laughs> and then I went on a mission trip to Cambodia and Thailand, back in 1996. And we were driving in the truck, I was standing in the back, and I heard a f my first AK-47, actually my only, uh, AK-47 go off behind, ba -ba 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 -ba. And I thought, what if those bullets hit me in the back of the head right now? And I realized that would be okay because I know right now I'm in the Lord's service, 100%. And that peace, I liked that more than living for myself. And I realized I would rather die serving God than continue living serving myself. And um, I believe that that text in Revelation where it says they love not their lives unto death, we think, wow, they are so self-sacrificing. No, that's not it at all. They found something better than life. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is way better than life. He's so good. He's willing to, I mean, it is, he is worth giving up our lives. Because, oh my, he's just that good. He's that valuable. Thousands and millions of people that have gone before us, thousands and millions of people have chosen death rather than to give up Jesus. They've chosen death to gain Jesus. He's worth that much. This life is short. The next life is long. Okay. All right. Verily I say unto you, Verse 47, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. I don't know what that means. 
But that sounds like an amazing reward. How much does God own? He owns more than we do. <laughs> so what this means is amazing. Now, then we move on to chapter 25. And you notice that there's no break. Jesus keeps talking. If you have a red letter edition, he keeps talking from the last verse of 24 right on to the first verse of 25. So this is the same sermon. It's two chapters, one sermon. But it seems as though Jesus forgot what he was talking about and starts launching off into something completely different because he starts getting into this parable of the ten virgins, okay? And then after that, he goes to the parable of the, of the talents. And then the last one is a parable of, what is it? The sheep and the goats. Okay, that was very interesting because I believe, you know, if you step back a little bit and you look at this big picture, why did Jesus put those parables in this context? Okay, the context again is end time events, sweeping prophecy, Jesus is coming soon, how to be ready. Okay, so let's look at the first one. We've got 10 virgins, and you know these very well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but five of them were accepted into the banquet hall, and five were rejected. What is the difference? They're all virgins, which means they all had the right doctrine. They all had pure doctrine. They had, not, they had over, I guess, they must have been overcoming. So they were believers, they had the right doctrine, but five of those were rejected. What was the difference? Five had more oil. That's the only difference. So the question comes to me, <laughs> how do I get more oil? I wanna make sure I get more oil. How? And there's a lot of sermons talking about how to do that, but I want to find out what Jesus says, okay? So Jesus then moves to the next parable, which I believe explains how to get more oil, okay? Remember, it's the three servants. Again, very similar thing. The king went off to a far distant land, left the servants with something, came back. There was a test. Some, one was rejected, two were accepted. What is the difference between the ones that were accepted into the joy of the Lord and the one that was cut asunder? Invested what they had. Now, when we receive Jesus, what do we have then? What are we given? Given the Holy Spirit, given salvation full and free, given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have salvation when we accept Jesus Christ. That's amazing. The question is, what do we do with it? What do we do with it to get more? And I believe that, well, this teaches us that we have to take what we've been giving and invest it. Now, you notice that whoever invested was successful. There was no failure on the part of anybody that invested. But the only failure was the person that held on to it. And you hear often, hold on to what you believe. Hold on to the faith. No, don't hold on to it. Give it out. Invest it. But what do we invest it in? And that, I believe, is taught in the next parable, which is the sheep and the goats. The judgment day scene, God gathers all his people together and he separates the sheep from the goats. And the goats are separated from him and the sheep are allowed to enter into his kingdom. What is the difference? And this is one issue that the entire judgment is based on. The entire judgment on my life is based and determined by this one thing. 
you know it very well, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. That's what it's all about. So when we receive Jesus Christ into our lives, we receive the Holy Spirit that opens up the treasures of the word, all the promises of the kingdom are released to us and given to us. We can then take that, invest that into other people. And as we do that, our experience grows. And that, I posit to you today, is how to survive this sinking ship. Nobody ever survived the sinking ship by going into the room and closing the door, you know, putting duct tape around the edges. The only people that survived the sinking ship got off the ship. We don't need a survival plan for the end times, brothers and sisters. We need an exit plan. Christ has given us this exit plan. Yeah, this world is going is to be burnt with fervent heat. Let all of my connections with the world be burnt before then. And may his life live within me because what is the one eternal thing that God has given us? What created the, what tool, what thing created the world when he created the world? His word. And the word, this word, this earth, this world will burn with fervent heat. Everything that we see, this beautiful structure, everything we see is going to be burned up. But the word will last forever. That is our ark. This is our ark. This is our safety boat, so to speak. Okay, so this is how to survive the end times. And you may say, well, I'm afraid to share my faith. That's a really good incentive to go ask and go spend time with God. And that's the mechanism. I see my life. I see the law. The law is treat others as if they were me. And I see I'm not doing that. So do I try harder? I tried that. There's nothing within me that is not selfish. So I have to go to some other source to find that love, to find that willingness to treat others like I want to be treated. Where do I find that? In Jesus. Jesus is there. I, see, I look within myself and I really, you know, I really don't care if the rest of the world dies of hunger. I'm okay. I had a good breakfast. So why do I worry about them? I go to Jesus. He cares about them. I don't know them. He does. So I go spend time with Jesus. And he cares through me. And he says, go over there. Go down the road. Go in that neighborhood over there. And as I go, as I obey, oh, these people are just like me. They're really good people. 
And then I start to love them myself. And then I start to pray for them. I start to pray and I start to need more of the Holy Spirit. And as I pray for more of the Holy Spirit for their sakes, I get more oil. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and lo, I'm with you always. That promise of his presence is determined or based upon the fulfilling of the prerequisite of going. And you may say, well, I'm afraid to go. Of course you are. We have inherited our emotional state, our emotions from Adam, which is fearful, self-preservation. But perfect love casts out all fear. So let's go to where we can experience perfect love. And as we experience perfect love, then he starts to go through us. There's a definition of true ministry that I love. It says that true ministry is an overflowing of the sufficiency that we experience in Christ or the joy that we experience in Christ. So if we look at our lives and we say there's not much fruit in our lives, instead of trying to get more fruit, let's go back to Jesus. It's the picture of the vine. You know, the branch can't bear fruit without life and sap running through. So if we look at the, in our branch and we see very little fruit, I know I look at my life a lot, I see a lot of leaves, often very little fruit. So instead of beating myself up and trying harder, that's an indication it's time to go spend time with Jesus Christ. And this is the solution to the Laodicean problem. Jesus gives it to us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, open the door. I will come in and I'll hang out with you. We'll chill. Spend time with you. And this is what God is calling us to. God is calling us into an intimate relationship in prayer. Spending an hour with him in prayer. Spending a week with him in prayer. Why not? I was inspired several years ago um, we were driving down the road in India, and um, I saw a bunch of people walking on the side of the road with uh, bare feet. We stopped to get some coconuts, and I ended up asking one of the guys, why are you walking like this? Where are you going? Oh, I'm going to the temple in Palani. Dude, that's like 80 kilometers from here. He says, yeah, 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 I'm going there to worship my God. Serious? How long is that going to take you? Oh, I took the whole week off work. Wait a minute, you took a whole week off of work to go walk and worship a God that doesn't see you, doesn't know that you exist, and I can't take a week off to worship my God? Whoa. Well, let's look at it the other way. If he can do it, why can't I do it? So I did it. Earlier this year, I just scheduled an entire week to pray. It was awesome. And when I got done, I want more. I want a lot more. <laughs> and God can do stuff when we take that time. Prayer is more than just a reciting of a list to him. Prayer is more than just telling him what we need. Prayer is more than just talking to him. Prayer is talking to him and then waiting until he talks to us. 
Spent five days, prayer, reading. Oh, man, first day, it was like I was just going after him. You know, it says, seek ye first with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and then you will find him. So I was doing that. I was telling him everything and just really going after him. And, and finally, I got to the end. It's like, Lord, this isn't working. I don't have anything more to say. So I stopped, and I'm like, oh, I failed. I failed in praying. And then I just sat there for a while, and then he started talking to me. And it was amazing. We are forgetting this. And we're like the elder brother of the prodigal son. You would, we know the story of the prodigal son, but the elder brother had been living at home as a servant, thinking that someday he's going to get to pay. And he was living with the father, had no clue the father was that generous. He could have had a party every single night of his life. He did not even know that he was, that who he was in his father or how his father saw him. I think we have that a lot. So... I submit to you that as we approach the end of time, let's do this. Let's do this more. And I'm not calling for everybody to go overseas right now. I'm calling for everybody to go to Jesus. Let's enter into Jesus and say, Lord, we are stuck in a state of Laodicea. In fact, we've been in Laodicea so long that it doesn't even bother us that we're in Laodicea. I mean, don't you feel that? And I think a lot of people, a lot of us, would like to get out of the state of Laodicea, and we just don't know how. How do we do that? The answer is in Jesus. It's in our prayer time. It's in that time. We take the time to do that, to really seek Him and say, this is a priority to me. He will guide us. He has all the answers and all the solutions if we spend time in His presence. He has overcome the world already, and he wants to put that victory in our lives. We just got to take the time. We got to take the time with Jesus. And that is not that we have to take the time. That is our privilege to take the time. A lot of people will say, well, I can't. I'm very busy. I got my work. You know, the children of Israel, they had to come up three times a year to, the, to Jerusalem to um, go to the feasts. And God said, when you come up, it's going to leave your properties open to marauders, but I will protect your property. He does have that same promise applies to us. As we seek him, he'll take care of our business. He'll take care of our lives. We really need his blessing. So the very life of the church depends on our faithfulness and fulfilling the Lord's commission. To neglect this work is surely to invite spiritual feebleness and decay. It's exactly what's happening today. Where there is no active labor for others, love wanes, faith grows dim. We don't have to wait for somebody else to start doing this. We can do it ourselves, individually. Just like Nehemiah. Nehemiah could have said, Lord, find somebody. He said, Lord, let me do my part. Each of us, can you imagine if each of us said that, took that on? So I'll do a little bit of last couple of weeks, last six weeks actually. This is Timor-Leste. Um, this is a brand new country with about 800,000 people. Used to be a million, but a quarter of the population was murdered within the last 20 years. Country is about 17 years old. There's about 600 Adventists in that country, and uh, we ha there's about 400 active uh, believers. I don't know if you recognize that guy on the left that he did an outstanding job, really inspired. This is 6 o'clock in the morning. 
5.30. The prayer there was amazing. I couldn't understand a thing they said, but the passion and the powers that they, when the last day, I think Sunday morning when we left, Pastor Chris saw um, a circle of tears on the ground. Something really happened when we did this united prayer. Uh, this is the group at the end. This is my favorite Darling, then I went to Thailand. This is a home of one of our missionaries, and I got to meet their pet monkey. <laughs> now that was really fun. This is their family, their daughter. This is an adopted daughter. She's uh, Burmese, Karen. She just got married. This is a family, you know, these, <clears throat> what's the word? These principles that I'm talking about, I've seen enacted over and over again in different families. And so I have more confidence in these principles than ever before because I see families that take the call and say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to give up my life to seek life in you. And they do that and they end up with an amazing testimony and more joy and happiness than they ever had before. Jesus wasn't kidding. So they adopted this girl when at the time adopting her would mean that they'd have to stay in that country for at least another 10 years. And we think of a five-year assignment as a career missionary, but no, that's five years. It's just the start. We're talking lifers. Wherever Christ needs us for the rest of our life, that's where the joy is. Okay? So she's getting married finally. Then I went over to Josh and Chitty Bowder's house. Okay? This is... Josh is from... Idaho, went overseas, married this um, Thai lady. Uh, this girl they met in the slum in Bangkok, okay? She had been through a really, really rough life. They sent her up to a high school in the north, but while she was up there, she couldn't get over the trauma that she had encountered as a young person, so she tried to take her life. They went up there, tried to look for somebody that could take care of her, provide counseling. They couldn't find anybody that would really care for her. So they decided to drop their life. Their, um, she had a really good job, decided to give all that up and move up to the north to take care of this girl as their daughter. She, the transformation in her is amazing. When she found somebody that loved her, just her, it was amazing. And so she used to be a nice girl, now she's bright and shining. <laughs> and the transformation, is amazing. Please pray for them. Their daughter is, they just had to have a CT scan because she's got problems in, 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 their, in her lungs. Um, amazing story. Um, as they were going home, I got a, a message from Josh. This girl, Prow, didn't realize she had two younger siblings. Her mother moved around a bit. And so she found her siblings in a slum in worse condition than she was. She bought them shoes and all the way home she was crying it's about a 10-hour drive home and we think we may have found a, a, a home for these two little kids and the home that we found uh, is a family that just moved over there in the last few weeks and uh, they already have eight kids <laughs> i'll introduce them to you in a moment this is a man from minnesota he's been there for like 12 15 years um, this is a little orphan boy and um, he's finding a great deal of joy. It was raining there, so we were waiting for the rain to stop so we could get the two feet to the truck <laughs> without getting incredibly drenched. Okay, go up to the little village. This is just an aside. This is a little beetle. They had four of these as pets, uh, and they used to, they would get, they do still get them together to fight, and they do betting on this. Anyway, um, 
young lady in one of the villages. This is the family um, that just moved over there this, a few weeks ago. They've been there for about a month. As you can see, they've got six of their kids there now with them. They've got two kids still back home in, here in the States. Um, when she got there, she'd never been out of the States before. The husband had traveled and been missionaries before. He had actually lost his father and his grandfather in mission service, but he wanted to be a missionary also because he understands. Um, she had never been overseas, so they sold their house. This was a year ago. We went up to Virginia, did a couple of meetings. She wanted that faith. She wanted that faith where, she, where her faith was tried, and she, went, she wanted that trial. You know, Keith, uh, Steve Green sings that song about the refiner's fire. You know, now I want that refiner's fire, that desire to be refined like that. And so they were over there freaking out. One of the little boys had um, lung trouble, so he was in the hospital. A lot of stories. She's, I mean, at many times along the way, she says, I just want to go home. I want to get out of here. They'd already sold their house, but she stuck through. And now they found a house. The Lord has moved amazingly. And now when Josh told her about these two little kids from the slum, she's like, we'll take them. And she says, if you're looking for somebody to be a little more hesitant, that's not us. <laughs> We've already prayed about this. As you can see, they love kids, and it's a beautiful family. They're now in a city in northern Thailand in which there's never been an Adventist in the entire city ever. So they're intentionally church planting in a place with no Adventists ever. That is cool. That is so cool. I mean, the church growth just went from zero to eight. <laughs> that is an infinite growth statistic. It's not, you know, 100% would be like from one to two, but from zero to anything is an infinite growth. <laughs> For those of you that, I guess, anyway, that is, uh, might be the jet lag speaking. But anyway, that is exciting because I've been praying for that city for 10 years now. I discovered that city way back. It's like, how can there be cities in the world where there's no Adventist and no plan to plant an Adventist there? How can that be? There's thousands, which can be overwhelming until we look at it another way. When I come to a buffet, we went to a buffet yesterday, India, Indian food. I'm not looking at all the food and going, oh my goodness, there's too much to eat here. I'm overwhelmed. I'm just going to go sit down and do nothing. No, it's like, praise God, I can choose what I like. You like a cold climate? There's unreached peoples there. You like a warm climate? There's unreached peoples there. There's still three billion people out there that don't have access to the gospel. It's a smorgasbord. The Adventist church is in 925 languages today. Praise God, there's only 6,000 to go. And you say, 6,000, that's impossible for me. Of course it's impossible for you, but it's not impossible for God's church. If 10% of just the North American division membership got revived and went as missionaries, that'd be 100,000 missionaries. Six only 6,000 unentered languages? Piece of cake. So all we need is revival. That's all we need. That's all God needs. That's all he needs. And you say, well, that's impossible. How could you get that many thousands of people to go? There's a church out there, very many people know, that this last year sent 72,000 missionaries. And their church is smaller than ours, so it's possible. We just have to. This family, they've been over there for many years. 
two, that boy, the little boy and the girl was just born uh, over there. Uh, amazing, amazing, amazing stories. Okay, and last but not least, this is where I was Monday, okay? This is North India, and every single brown dot that you see is a village or a city in which there's not a single Adventist. There's nobody. This is the president of the North India section, and this is the uh, minister or the uh, uh, executive secretary. And they took us around. We took two days, drove around. This is what I saw for like I don't know a lot of hours. And uh, these guys, some of the friendliest people I've ever met. They're six, and um, they worship. They don't worship idols. They worship the book, uh, in which their gurus from past generations wrote all kinds of wise sayings. Some of the nicest people I've ever met. They got fruit there, it's pretty good. <laughs> um, couple of people, you know, we're not just talking statistics. Our job is to reach the unreached, but do we even know the name of an unreached people group? Do we know who they are? If we explore, maybe we could do little forays explore and figure out what is our task out there. Maybe we can go to the buffet counter and just do some samples. What kind of food is this? Oh, that's too spicy. Oh, that, you know. What if that was my daughter? What would I do for her? Would I spend a little extra to find her salvation? Spend everything I got and then some. This man, what's his life? Who's he married to? Is he happy? What's his biggest concern? I don't know. God knows. God woke up with this man today, saw him eat breakfast, saw him do whatever he did. I don't know. I don't know him, but God does. We ended up in the police department. I'm not going to tell you why. And this Sikh police commissioner or something. He was a big high up. He's the nicest guy I've ever met. While we were sitting in his office all nervous, he had water come in. We drank some water. Then he brought in some tea, some cookies. At the end, he gave us a hug. These are the people. They've stolen my heart up in North India. No Adventists. I am so excited because we're going to do something for those people. And we've been doing this long enough that we've seen the results of doing something that's never been done before. We've seen that. We've gone to places and we've planted the gospel. And years later, we see the gospel flourish. And that kids that used to have darkness in their eyes, they have light. And to think that someday I'm going to Stand there and watch Jesus put a crown of gold on their heads and think that I had a little tiny, tiny part to play in that. Man, that is cool. That's where the joy is, brothers. That is where the joy is. That is where the joy is. In the meantime, right now we have a team in, Nor in uh, Bangladesh. They're drilling wells. <laughs> and doing medical missionary work. This is how they drill a well. 
They just get the stick and they kind of stuck something down in the ground and after a while they get this. Totally cool. Because otherwise the villagers would have to drink out of the pond where the buffaloes go and they wash their clothes. It's, this is cool. While they were there, our team discovered 20 churches that had been built but there is no funds to put a Bible worker or pastor there. So 17 out of the 20 churches are closed. And this church, this is the first time they'd opened this church in 14 years. I just got this picture yesterday. This is the first time they've opened this church in 14 years. So how do we fix it? Go to our knees, say God, Give me grace. Give me grace in the eyes of the kings. Give me grace in the eyes of people that you have blessed with means so that we can sponsor Bible workers to go there and open those churches so we can see souls in the kingdom of heaven. That's my life. That's what I do. <laughs> I tell people about all these amazing things, this, this buffet that God has for us. And it's not fundraising, I'm not asking for money. Yeah, it's ministry. Gives us a chance to get involved with God's work. It's amazing. So God is good, God is amazing. I love working for him. And I wanna encourage you to get on board wherever God calls you, wherever God places you. Get on board with his kingdom. Get on board with doing something for him to give up our lives, this life, so that we can have the true life, the life eternal. Thank you.